Edwina Pio, thank you very much indeed for talking to us today in the Judge Business School's Window on the World podcast. Your specialism is ethnic entrepreneurship. Can you tell me what that means? Thank you. Uh, It's a delight to be here. It's an intellectual feast to be here at Cambridge. And um, ethnic entrepreneurship refers to uh, entrepreneurship by people who are a minority demographically in a particular country. So it's often referred to as ethnic migrant or immigrant entrepreneurship. And um, you've just published a book, haven't you? Sorry, Indian Women at Work in New Zealand. Tell me what that book argues and finds. Uh, The book really is about uh, migrant women, Indians, first, second, third, and fourth generation women who've been there, who've created a life, who've uh, kind of um, defied the legacy of history, many of them, in terms of being much more than merely uh, dairy owners and much more than the subservient chattels of their all-powerful Indian husbands, as is the general stereotype. So my aim really has been to look at how these myths can be exploded and how professional Indian women who are migrants uh, bring to the table the treasures of their experience, the treasures of their work, and their diversity in skills. So that's what I've tried to showcase in the book, including, for example, women who've been mayors in New Zealand, women who own large businesses, um, as well as nurses, doctors, and, of course, dairy owners or the corner shop, the mom-and-pop stores as well. You might have two stereotypes of ethnic entrepreneurship, one, that people are migrants, so they're exploited, or two, they're migrants and they're more entrepreneurial as a result. Is that what you found? Um, A bit of both, really, but I think uh, what migrant women particularly enjoy in New Zealand is the wonderful gender equity that people have there. So if we look at the World Economic Forum report of 2008, you find that New Zealand is ranked number five, with one being the best. The UK, for example, is ranked 13, and India, uh, which is my country of origin, is 113. And therefore, of course, Indian women uh, love New Zealand, but after the first two years, which are very difficult because ethnicity is an issue in New Zealand, particularly because it's been so hermeneutically sealed in many ways for so many years. Why does New Zealand score so highly and why does Britain come further down the ranking? I think New Zealand has been really particular about how women are treated. We were the first in the world to have women's suffrage, 1893. I think the UK had it, 1918-1928, somewhere around there. And I think women are really assertive, really particular about issues over there, though New Zealand women tell me, I mean, I'm a migrant there, though I'm a Kiwi as well, that um, there's much more to be done. So the government is having programs for women in leadership. Uh, They've got many organizations which support women. And recently we've, uh, with the new government, uh, John Key, who's our current prime minister and released my book, Sari, he's appointed the first Asian a cabinet minister who's a woman. Over here, Harriet Harman and the Labour Party are championing a new equalities bill. Do you think that equalities bill is very much needed? And are there parallels with New Zealand? Um, 
I'm not sure how much I can speak on the bill, but I've been through it, uh, I've scanned it. And what I can say is, in some instances, legislation is needed. But the extent to which legislation is enforced or is it a guideline, these are issues dependent on the context of a particular country. And while I think legislation is important, sometimes there it makes it much more complex. And there are various ways to incentivize organizations to take in more women and more ethnic minorities. And I would hope that the UK explores some of these aspects. So very much you're in favor of the carrot rather than the stick in terms of an approach to getting equality for women and ethnic entrepreneurship in particular. Yes, definitely. Uh, But I do think organizations need to be made accountable for what they do. And I think it's it's very easy to say we don't discriminate. Of course, people don't discriminate. We are in the 21st century. But there are subtle nuances which do provide barriers and roadblocks. And um, therefore, women kind of stumble through. And perhaps that's the reason for, you know, uh, uh, the, the gap in earnings. That's the reason why between the ages of, let's say, 25 to 40, Uh, where men are zooming ahead in their career. It's the time of fertility for women and uh, a sick child, however equal parents are, a sick child is likely to ask for the mother at that point in time. So these are issues. And caring is at both ends of the scale for women when they have elderly parents and relatives as as well as younger uh, children. Why do you think the gender pay gap in Britain remains so stuck? It's just gone up from 17% to 17.1%. Is there a similar story in New Zealand? Anything we can learn from the experience there? Um, I think in New Zealand also there is a gender gap. But uh, women are very vocal over there, and they are trying their best to close that. The government is seriously looking at these issues. But then again, it's a grey area, and one talks about uh, faith, So doing things in good faith. And I really like the idea of faith. I like the idea, uh, however old-fashioned it may be, of honoring and the dignity that one gives to people. And I think there are different metrics whereby which you measure what women are doing and what men are doing. It need not only be in terms of pay. Unfortunately, the economic indicators are given primary importance. So I also think that perhaps there's a gender gap because a lot of the accomplished women or professional women go overseas. Some of them get a bit fed up with what's happening in terms of discrimination. I think the same thing happens in New Zealand as well. Do you think people would associate words like honour and dignity with being old-fashioned and perhaps paternalistic? I think so, yes. But I would like... I mean, one has to honour the environment, If we don't honor the environment, we are not going to have, uh, you know, um, um, a a planet for our future, for our children, for our grandchildren. So when you look at a lot of, let's say, male-led organizations which are looking at being more green and more sustainable, uh, of course you've got to honor the environment. So, you know, I I really don't think they are old-fashioned words. Uh, But I think they are words which the indigenous people have kind of uh, um, embraced and which we do need to embrace in our world as well. Where would you look to in the world that you think has the the best policies towards ethnic entrepreneurship? Is it indeed New Zealand? Um, It's a very complex answer that you're asking me to give. But I still tend to think it's America. 
It's the United States. They welcome immigrants a little less now with all that's been happening in terms of the world uh, uh, geopolitical situation. But I really think immigrants get much more of an opportunity there, including Canada. In New Zealand, it's after two years or three years that women, migrant women, move forward. So it's really the entry issues. And I think the same thing happens here in the UK. It's entry issues for migrant women. Once you enter, you can prove yourself. And, you know, I mean, one woman is as good as another. It's, it's a question of talent. Do you think the global economic downturn is going to have an adverse effect on the employment prospects of migrant women today? I think yes, primarily because they are a vulnerable section of society by far and large. If you look at, for example, the new laws of the EU in terms of mobility, you have a lot of people from countries like, let's say, Poland, for example, coming to the UK. And uh, however qualified they may be, they tend to work at the lower end of the economic labor market. Uh, But, you know, they would definitely move up and they're the vulnerable section who'd get axed. But you might say a migrant worker comes in with the attitude, you've got to keep moving, Uh, you've got to keep making your own business opportunities. That creates a dynamism, doesn't it? Yes, it does. But I would like to see that dynamism not solely being driven by the individual, but also being driven by society, by the embeddedness of political structures, by the embeddedness of institutional and organizational norms that don't see migrants as a drain on the economy, but see migrants as contributing. When they're entrepreneurial, they create jobs for themselves as well as for others. I know, Edwina Pio, you work for the CFEL in Cambridge and the University of New Zealand. Just tell us what interested you about this particular aspect of study, ethnic entrepreneurship. Um, I teach at AUT University in New Zealand. I'm part of the business school. And among my different areas of expertise in research, one is gender and ethnicity. And I was invited by CFEL to come here and be a co-researcher to look at the gender and ethnic origins of the Cambridge Cluster, which is a very exciting and a wonderful project. And are there indeed many different ethnic origins? And does it create that dynamism we just referred to? Um, uh, Yes and no, but we are kind of holding these cards quite close to our chest because we are hoping to have a seminar on our findings sometime in May next year. And we have a research team. It's uh, Shahi Vyakarnam, who's uh, the director of CFEL, uh, Dr. Shima Barakat, also at CFEL, and uh, me from New Zealand who are doing this work. I very much look forward to reading your next study Edwina Pio, thank you very much indeed for talking to me today in the Judge Business School's Window on the World podcast. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and an intellectual feast here at Cambridge. Cheers.